National Talkie League. Hey, welcome to the National Talkie League. Uh, I'm Roger, and I am sick and tired. That's really it, Dave. I just got a chest cold, and I, bit, I got up really early. So how about a theme song? National Talkie League. It's a new week now. National Talkie League. Roger's a freak now. Rational Talkie League. It's rational now. That's uh, that's interesting. Was that a Freudian slip? Does that count as a Freudian slip? It, I, yeah, I think I made a mistake there, and I was like, okay, i got to lean into it now. I can't get out of it. The Rational Talkie League. I like it. <laughs> uh, not... Not terribly inapropos, actually, of what, particularly uh, in in the context of what we're going to be talking about on this episode. What is this, Dave? This is season three, epi- uh, th- season three, game four, if I'm keeping track. Game four, week four, correct. Yes, we're like the uh, soccer, European soccer leagues. This is week four. I, I prefer that, actually. Um, yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah, I think the new format's been... Uh, 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 pleasant, at least from my side of things. I'm enjoying this season. Uh, hopefully the uh, talkies out there are as well, that they like the way that we're uh, laying things out for you. So, of course, uh, we've been doing this for a few weeks now, but uh, we'll be covering the local, the provincial, and the federal level of government. We'll just do a quick roundup of those, and then we'll get on to our big deal for the week. All right. So, uh, Roger, why don't you start us off? Sure. Local politics, it's just about time for us to start complaining about uh, street sweeping not being um, uh, happening quickly enough in our neighborhoods. Uh, moving on. Yes, and it was snowing today, so. <laughs> right. Uh, no, you know, there's just not a lot of local stuff happening, and I think the, the spotlight is intensely focused on the provincial election. Um, but I will say this, though. If I can just drop maybe one or two minutes on the federal story that, that continues to grow, and it's kind of sprung another head now, which is the SNC-Lavalin thing. I guess Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, has released some emails and text messages that now all have to be sort of scrubbed of personal information and like personal you know, identifiable information like phone numbers and email addresses and stuff like that before they can be made public and uh i i think it's i think it's funny and i, I just sort of wish that somebody i hope someone's keeping some powder dry so that all this stuff doesn't blow over before you know the kids are out of school and we forget about it come election time this fall uh i fully agree roger i i don't i don't know if i should throw a flag on the play right now because, as you know, we, we cover local, and then we move to provincial, and then we move to federal. You said there's nothing going on in in local and jumped right to federal there. I didn't yeah. know what to do. Well, but do you want to do provincial and then go to federal and then go back to provincial? It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like eating your salad and then biting into the steak and then pushing the steak away, going back to the salad. That's not a man move. So what you're, you're advocating that we change the order of things because... There's more news on the provincial side, so you're saying let's do local, federal, get them out of the way, and then we'll move on to provincial. Is that what you're? Is that what you're advocating here? Yeah, I don't know if this is a major foul. Is it? Is this like holding the shootout before the match just in case just it su- ends up in a tie? Just surprise me, man. You just surprise <laughs> me. That's all. By the way, that's not a bad no, idea in hockey, is it? If they did the shootout before they played the game, <laughs> so that if you ended up in a tie, you would know who's going to win, and one team would play a little bit harder. Well, yeah, we were we were chatting before we started recording here, and I was likening the uh, the lack of local uh, political news or issues uh, being much like a uh, the the fire truck that is the federal or the sorry the provincial election coming up the road behind the city, and so the city is now dutifully pulling over right. to get out of the way of all of that. And of course, a lot of those issues are going to affect us at the city level. 
so yeah, so we've dispensed with local. Uh, you meant you touched on the the only federal issue that uh, anybody's really chatted about this week, which is you know the continuing egg on Justin Trudeau's face that it's not even going to matter if this just keeps going for another month or two. It's not even going to matter who's right or who's wrong. It's that whole thing where everybody just looks like a big liar right now. So you know, do you think the fake feminism thing is playing on the left? I don't know. I haven't heard a whole lot. The only people I've heard really sort of defending the liberals are the diehard liberals, like not just lefties, but liberals on the Canadian politics Reddit that are like, no, no, they didn't do anything. No, they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I'm not hearing a whole lot of that. They bought that line about defending Canadian jobs and, you know, Canadian industry. And it's like, really? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of embroiled in some stuff that was happening in a, in, in Gaddafi's Libya. Like, it's not as though, like, this isn't like a brown paper bag full of money for a corporation. This is some seedy stuff that was going on. You know, like, the, the company Salesforce is in trouble right now because there's allegations that they were working with Backpage, that uh, website that I think the FBI shut down because they were, you know, trafficking women. Oh, it's sort okay, of like, yeah. yeah, so that's a kind of a smear on, on Salesforce. And, I look at SNC Lavalin. It's like, you know, what kind of shenanigans were going on in that, uh, you know, despotic Wonderland that they were are guilty of uh, pulling shenanigans in, and uh, it's some pretty unseemly stuff. So, I don't know why you would defend that country and protect the jobs of people who work for somebody who's, you know, passing women around and 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 uh, you know, in a in a third world country, basically. I don't know, brother, but I'm going to give you bonus points for use of the word shenanigans. Multiple use of the word Multiple shenanigans. Multiple uses of shenanigans. So the, the people that right. are trotting out the fake feminism thing, Dave, though, it's like Michelle Rempel, right? It's it's a real drum for the conservative women to bang because they get to point a finger and they get to say this guy's unfit to lead our country. But I, what I wonder is if there are women on the left who feel the same way, maybe not as emphatically publicly, but this is my analogy, right? It's like... Are there women who would have defended Harvey Weinstein and said, yeah, but, like, he makes good movies? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Well, it's an interesting point. So, I mean, we I don't know how many sort of power-hungry politicians we have at the federal level. I mean, everybody likes to have a little bit of power, a little bit of money. But I don't know on the liberal side how many of the women there are thinking, you know— Justin, if he stays in power, if he gets another term, then odds are the conservatives probably get a term. So we're looking at a minimum of eight, maybe 12 years before I get a shot at leading this party. Or, <laughs> you know, Justin's on the hot seat right now. Kind of lean on him a little bit. We could make things a little bit crazy and then maybe I could run, you know, and get uh, get the women behind me kind of thing. Right. So there's a potential for something. like I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just saying, you know, it, it could the answer to your question, by the way, how many power-hungry politicians in Canada is 338. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, all of them in Parliament. Mm. All right, so, uh, all right, let's 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 get to the uh, the Alberta stuff, because clearly that's what everybody's here to talk about today. Yeah, I mean, my, my all-star moment uh, so far in the campaign is courtesy of Drew Barnes. And his tweet about how 42% is a passing great in NDP math. That means that students uh, don't have to learn 68% of the curriculum. And, okay. You know, Bad. Doesn't look good. No, it clearly, doesn't look good. Clearly, I mean, clearly somebody typed, hit the six instead of the five. Right? That's what happened here. Um, 
I'm not right? going to. No, I don't think so. Because <laughs> it's, it's 58. It is 58, but I'm still not defending this as a typo. I'm not saying, I, I don't know if that's what happened, but I could see that. That's a rational explanation for that. Is someone meant to type 58 and they hit the six, type 68, nobody caught it and out it went, right? Yeah. Or so, is, it, is a more rational explanation, explanation that this guy's just an idiot and he has no idea how to do math? I think that's the more feasible explanation. I think the guy's an idiot. But furthermore, <laughs> I, th I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna tweet that from a you know campaign during a campaign, then you should also tweet something about how proofreading is a prerequisite for handing in an essay in high school as well. That's that's a very good point. Yes, right. And but it'll be interesting because if if Notley goes to town on it with math is hard, you know what? That's that's gonna be another little flag right there. Well, she did. Her response to it was not going to say it, not going to say it, not going to say it. Yeah. Which yeah. which I thought was quite hilarious. See, here's my problem with Rachel Notley. I actually really like her. I don't like the way she mm -hmm. stood me up on, on my radio show four years ago. But I, mm -hmm. I do actually really like her. And I think it's possible to like a politician that you disagree with. Like I fundamentally, I, I, I think most of her ideas and, and decisions that, that her government has made are just like straight up, flat out wrong. But as a politician, I dig what she does. I, I like her. I get her. I hope she doesn't win. But I like her. And I can say that. Sure. Sure. And, I mean, people do like her, clearly. That's why her entire party is basically campaigning with her name as opposed to their own. Because people like her more than they like her party. And I've heard it said a few times online already, you know, can we just have the UCP in charge but Rachel Notley in charge of the party? <laughs> right? That's 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 the Albertan dream team right there. The the popular party with the popular leader. Right. Uh I wonder what that government would look like. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> but no, but I mean I think it goes a lot to to talking about, you know, the value of of the party itself. Like you know, Notley was she won that election by herself last time around. Uh she had the the moment on stage where Jim Prentice gave her a pat on the head and you know, she took it like a champion and, and she was, she, you know, she won that election by herself, basically. And then mm -hmm. the fallout from it was, you know, the Deborah Drever thing and, you know, who are these people? And it's it's there's not an all star uh, group of politicians there. Now, look, I can say the same thing about the UCP. No problem. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you talk about how, yeah, they're running the entire campaign on her name, like <laughs> what's the alternative? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so 338 was the number you threw up before. And so we have a, uh, blog in Canada called 338, which is a, uh, you know, it's the same as the 538 in the, uh, uh, the States that tracks all the polls and tries to be the, you know, master of crunching the numbers and analysis in that. And so they had a, an update today about the election and, uh, the UCP still leads the NDP by double digits. So it's 50.8 or 51% to 35%. Uh, and then if we flip that into seat project projections, uh, we're looking at 64 and a half. I don't know how we get to a half, but we do somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, 64 and a half for the UCP, 21.6 for the NDP, which is pretty much exactly what last election would have looked like if the right hadn't split. Like I okay. ran these numbers. I took my own little database. I, I went. It's called scraping when you go and you take <laughs> all the stats online. I scraped all the stats off of the wiki. I put them into a database and I crunched all the numbers and I said, what would happen if these two parties hadn't split? So the combined vote. And those are pretty close to the numbers that I came up with. The NDP would have had 20, 21 or 22 seats, I think. 
um, they would still have won the majority if the the parties hadn't split at that point. Of course, hard, impossible to say. Yeah. Different set of circumstances, but regardless, that's what that's what we're looking at, and that's what we're looking at again. They're projecting the Alberta party to to win one, probably Greg Clark. I don't know how they get there. Maybe there's enough support for them that it translates into a single seat. Of course, this is all just you know speculation at this point, but. On the other hand, exactly the same thing we've seen from pretty much every poll. I kind of went back and looked at all the polls for about the last 18 months or so. They all look pretty much the same. You can see the NDP picking up a couple percent here and there, but there's no major movement. There's no, we don't see people abandoning the UCP for the NDP. We're definitely seeing some people popping from the liberals and from the Alberta party over to the NDP, but we're not seeing anybody on mass leaving the UCP. Now, having said that, we haven't seen any polls since after the GSA comments came out. That's the question is, does that, you know, have any bearing on things? And, you know, by way of bringing that up, Roger, this week, what's the big deal? Yeah, no, the big deal is that the GSAs are kind of front and center on the, um, you know, on the hustings. And, uh, you know, it goes against what we'd been saying, or at least what I'd been saying, Dave, which is uh, I would just try to avoid it and make the entire conversation about the economy. Um, mm-hmm. But smarter, smarter people than me run Kenny's campaign, and I think that uh, they sort of took a page out of Trudeau's book on SNC-Lavalin and said, look, if, if we're going to have to talk about this, let's talk about it early. Let's get this out of the way right now. And um, Well, and we, we did chat about this a bit with uh, Brian on the uh, Beleaguered Talkies uh, sure. Facebook group. And so he brought up the question, just like, why are they even talking about it? Shouldn't they just shut up about it until after the election and then they can roll out whatever they want? And that's a really good point. But I think Kenny is smart enough to know that when he goes and does a big speech about what the UCP is planning on doing uh, education-wise, that a reporter or more than one are certainly going to ask that question because that's what everybody wants to talk about. And of course they did. And of course he answered and the answer he gave was probably exactly what everybody expected him to say. I don't see a lot of changes because of that answer. I mean, maybe some people were expecting him to go, no, uh, despite what you think, I've changed my mind on this. But I don't know. Does it change a lot of voters? Does it swing a lot of voters? That's really the big question. Because the people on the left aren't going to vote for the UCP anyway. The hardcore right aren't going to change their minds. But it's that sort of the middle ground, the the more the moderate conservatives. Are they going to be pushed away by that? I, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I don't think so. I think, you know, as a parent, uh, what I heard, I heard, a, I liked a lot of the things he had to say about the uh, education system, about you know, changing things higher up in the uh, in the ATA. You know, he's he was basically saying we're not planning on letting any teachers go. We're not planning on reducing the number of teachers in the system, but we definitely want to get control of the spending, which kind of means, well, who are you going to get rid of is maybe some of the administrators, which has always been my opinion, too, that they're, they're kind of top-heavy uh, in that regard. Uh, he's talking about bringing back a, a, a provincial-wide testing for grade three. Ah, whatever, who cares? Um, for me, another one was a big one was the uh, report cards. The yeah. report cards are an utter mess right now. I don't know if you've seen one in the last couple of years, but no. they're just a mess. There's different systems. Sometimes they use numbers. Sometimes they use letters. They write a lot of crap that nobody cares about. It's just like, can we just get back to something that's quick and easy? I just want to know how my kid's doing. Right. You know, you can take me in for as many 
any student-led conferences as you like where the student walks you around the classroom and shows you what they're working on. That's all fine and dandy. But at the end of the night, really, I just want to get in front of that teacher and go, what do we need to work on? What's going right? What's going wrong? That's what I want to know. That's what I want a report card to be. Anyways, I've babbled on enough about that. <laughs> no, I think it kind of points out what what I'm thinking about the GSA thing, Dave, is that, you know, one person, one vote, right? One man, one vote. And the danger of, I think the danger of, of trying to make this election about um, about GSAs and about, you know, um, gay kids or LGBTQ kids is that it's a special interest group to most of the population, right? Like most of the population doesn't fit into that category. And so if you want to make an election about a special interest group, then, you know, for, for the individual voter, I'd better be in that group. <clears throat> you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't think that there's an equation here where people see um, the situation with uh, LGBTQ uh, rights and, you know, um, geez, I don't even know what, what the proper phraseology would be to describe the, the state with the G- GSAs, et cetera. But I don't think that there's this equation between that and, say, like the human rights movement uh, for black Americans in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, right? I don't think that there's people that are looking at it and going, yeah, we need to vote to change that. Um, and Kenny's response, you know, you talked about how Kenny reporters asked him about it and Kenny answered it. He gave like a long response, some some good sound bites. Uh, it, it was non-combative. He sounded supportive. And... You know, I think it's personally, I think it's a bit disingenuous his response, and I think that he paves the way for you know religious schools to have their way with this topic, and uh, I think he paves the way to introduce legislation at any time that can be far more controlling on this beyond the election. But uh, to the people in the middle that are kind of casually paying attention to what's going on in the election, uh, I think that he appeased them with what he said today, and I think that in doing so, he might actually be able to get away from this issue in 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 hours rather than days and weeks. Yeah, I would. I'd like to think that he's smart enough to know that uh, one of the big things that we wanted to talk about too. You had, you had mentioned earlier, Rob Breckenridge had an article this week about the the sort of the tribalism and how that's kind of changed the face of politics, right? Right. Uh, sorry, can you expand a bit on? on yeah, that? sure. Breckenridge wrote a, and by the way, like smartest pundit or smartest commentator. Um, you know, I don't have to pump his tires at all, but he's just amazing. You should always read his columns. But he did, um, he wrote a piece about how, you know, we shouldn't have all this pearl clutching in the campaign, right? Uh, that, um, you know, we should expect that the, the one candidate is going to try to paint the opponent as being an undesirable choice to lead, et cetera, et cetera. And so we shouldn't get so caught up in like, oh, my candidate's being attacked or, or it's a smear campaign and whatnot. That really just puts us into these sort of tribal categories when what we should really be doing is considering the facts and consider, you know, what's being said. Um, and in his piece, he, he pointed out that, you know, like the NDP can't really say this during an election if they acted this way uh, during their government and so on and so forth. And the more that we can focus on, you know, who's bullshitting us and less on, uh, I feel personally attacked when you attack the candidate that I think I might vote for, uh, the better off we'll be. Now, the only problem with Rob's columns is that I think that he writes on on very intelligent subject matter that most uh, people, that doesn't land with most people which is kind of a shitty compliment in, in some ways, because I think that a lot of people would read that and go, uh, uh, what's he talking about? So in, 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 to put that in some sort of practical language, 
imagine handing that to somebody who's shouting, build the wall, build the wall and saying, read this and tell me what you think. You know, you, you might, you might find out they're not literate. Yeah. You know, and if, if I go on, on the Reddit, what I'm told uh, being a, a person who generally tends to vote uh, on the right side of the column is that I'm a racist <laughs> Though, as we pointed out earlier this week, the UCP actually has more minority uh, candidates than uh, any other party that's running right now. Right. 21 of 87, which is a pretty sizable number, right? Um, I, so, yeah, so I'm a racist. If I vote for them, uh, I hate gay people if I vote for conservatives. Uh, and, yeah, how can I? I'm a monster because I'm opposed to uh, – because I'm trying to out LGBT kids. Right. And I'm, I just, I just, you got to shake your head at some point. Um, that's not my plan. I don't, I think LGBT kids should be uh, happy. Uh, they should, uh, do, do G- I'm totally in favor yeah, of the GSAs, that kind of thing. But you're falling but it's into also, the trap right now, though. Sorry, Dave. You're falling into the trap where you feel like you have to justify it, and you don't, yeah. and that's what sucks. But what I, what, what I was about to say was that it's not going to change my vote, though. Right. Because I'm not voting based on those things. And you're absolutely right that tribalism exists. If you go on, I'm sure you well, I don't know what your Facebook looks like, but I certainly have a lot of friends in the entertainment industry who tend to be a little bit further to the left. And they're absolutely, oh, that guy is a monster. And how could anybody vote for him? And, you know, if you ask me straight up, how can anybody vote for him? I'll explain it to you. I'll say the economy is terrible right now. <laughs> People are losing jobs right now. A bunch of the restaurants I love to go to are closing up. It's looking pretty bleak right now, and people are going to vote for change because the NDP has not brought prosperity. And fair enough, they were behind the eight ball the entire time. It was very unlikely they were going to be able to. But really, if the question comes down to uh, do we just keep going the way we're going and hope it gets better, or do we make a change right now? Do you change lanes or do you stay in this lane? I think for me, that's what it comes down to. And I don't think we can stay in this lane for another four years because things are getting pretty ugly. And the only place the jobs are going up is at the, the government sector, right? We're putting more public sector jobs in, which hurts us even more in the long run. I don't see the NDP as being the party that's going to take us you know, by the reins and get us out of this trouble. So Right. And to me, it's not about do we change lanes. It's, it's more I, I didn't want to be on this bus in the first place. I'm voting for a different bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, but you're right, that, that tribalism thing, it's huge now. So uh, back to what we were talking about with, with Kenny and the GSE, GSA issue is I think he's smart enough to go, you know what? Anyone who already thinks that I'm, you know, anti-gay, they're not going to change their minds. doesn't matter what he says. They're not going to change their minds. He could stand there and say, I swear, I will swear a blood oath that I will not change a single thing, that this the GSA protections will stand as they are. And I guarantee you, you would go to Press, press Progress or, or whatever it is, the, the left-wing blog, and they would say something like, uh, Kenny's still lying. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what he says. They're not going to believe him. They already hate the guy. They're not going to change their minds about him. And as I said, the people on the right side, they're going to be, you know, just going to hold their nose and vote. Or if they agree with them, they're going to be on side with him. So it comes down to that middle. Are there people in the middle who are going to be turned off enough by that? I don't know. Are are there really undecided voters, do you think? Oh, or is tons. it just people who, who say they're undecided when the pollsters ask them? You know, I think no. most people already sort of have a pretty good idea which way they're going to lean. Well, I, I think that's how the NDP got elected. 
you know, that, that, a whole bunch, that a whole bunch of people didn't know how they were going to vote. And, you know, when they finally got to make the decision, they thought to themselves, well, I don't like him and I don't like that guy. And, you know, I've heard some bad things about that party and I don't think this party deserves to be in the government anymore. So I'm just going to vote for. Well, sure. Woman. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much of that was protest vote, how much of that was the split. It'd be interesting if if the, the vote hadn't been split last time. But don't you think, though, but look, look, you had to jump over the Alberta Party and the Liberals to get to the NDP. So I think that that, that the safest protest vote was for the NDP that could never possibly conceivably form the government (laughs) in Alberta. Right. And I know of a lot of people who voted NDP that that found out they won and went, what? Like they were stunned. (laughs) So and look, I mean, that's just my view on it. That's my take on it. And, you know, I think that. Towards the end, the polling showed that uh, that there were decided voters. So maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but the polling towards the end showed that that Rachel Notley might win the uh, might win government, which is why she stood us up on on the radio. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. no, but I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think about people that pay so very little attention to the news cycle, so very little attention to the election cycle, and can you blame them? And they are they decided, you know, I I, I, I think as you're alluding to, Dave. They decided a long time ago that the next time I get a chance to cast a ballot, I'm just going to vote for the conservative choice. Alberta was better with a conservative party in charge, and I don't really their platform doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So the interesting thing for me is going to be how how much bleeding to the Alberta party does this sort of thing cause, right? If we keep having issues like that, are you going to lose more votes to the Alberta party, which could hurt you? I don't see it being a split, a sizable split like it was last time. But it might be enough. And and the funny part is the NDP are like, yeah, come on, get more people to vote for the Alberta Party. And it's like, great. <laughs> if the Alberta Party picks up a few seats, guess which side they're voting for, guys? <laughs> they're not siding with you. I'll tell you that right now. Like, they're going to be voting further to the right than uh, than the NDP. That's for sure. Yeah. I, um, I, I kind of go back to what, we, what I mentioned last week, though, too, is that I, I think that I, we have too many parties in this in our election right now. And it's sort of like the the left needs to figure out where their give and take is because I think that they'll have an opportunity. If Kenny's the bogeyman that they are painting him out to be, and he's going to be awful to, to GSAs and, and to LGBTQ plus 2S community, like whatever, right? If they're going to be uh, awful to that community, then he's going to lose a lot of the vote that swung them into power. And if I'm the NDP or the Alberta Party, and I don't think the Alberta Party is going to be relevant by the end of uh, this election cycle, um, but if I'm the NDP, then I'm looking at that and going, okay, we have a, we actually have an opportunity. Like we have a toehold in this province now, and we need to adjust. We need to recognize that that deficits are unsavory, that people don't tolerate economic mismanagement, that we didn't get things done on the oil and gas front. We need to soften there. Um, but, you know, we've got some ground to gain and, and figure out how to gain it. And I think it would be to the to the benefit of the province. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm scanning through these numbers here again and looking mm-hmm. at <laughs> odds of winning the most seats. The odds of the UCP winning the most seats in this election, 98.3. That's a good number if you're on that side of the, right. the board. You know? Um. Yeah, I mean, all all they can do is lose votes at this point, right? The question is, how many? Like, if they if they just have a little trickle, 
not going to hurt them too much. If they get a big bleed going on, could change things. But the, what is that thing now, right? They've already tried to pull the, you know, the GSA issue, uh, the uh, racist issue. There's only so many times you can you know, cry wolf, right? And, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't say cry wolf means there's nothing there. There may right. be something there. But I think at the same time, people just get tired and you become the party who's just constantly blah, blah, blah about the other side. And yeah. people just get tired and they just turn off. They don't care anymore. Well, I think it works against you, though. Don't you think? Like, don't you think that, that if somebody has decided that... Um, um, I want to vote for Kenny that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm upset about the NDP and, and I want to vote for the UCP that when you point out to them, it's like, yeah, but listen to this tape of this guy. And you're like, they, I think those people take that personally. And I think that that's the problem, you know, going back to this tribalism that we're talking about. I think that, that, that in, that a lot of times when you attack the opponent, when you attack your opponent this way, that, that the people that are considering supporting him take it very personally. Look at the way Trump supporters act on, on um on facebook right or on social media like the suggestion that trump might have colluded with russia of like it makes them emotional and it makes them like angry and they they feel attacked and, and assaulted and you know i think so i think it sort of works against you like pointing out like this president's corrupt like how dare you suggest that i would vote for a corrupt person this is my vote I've, i'm very thoughtful and so I think it's I think it kind of works against them. It's a weird thing. You're you're absolutely right. I see it all the time on uh, on the Alberta Reddit where someone will say anyone who votes for the UCP is a racist. <laughs> only or they'll say they won't say it like that. They'll say only racists would vote for the UCP. And so being who I am, I like to ask the question, "Oh, are you saying that anyone who votes for the UCP is a racist?" They always back down. Nobody actually wants to say that, right? right? And, of course, it's a dumb thing to say because we know it's not true. But I like to pose that question. Like, oh, you, oh how could you vote for that guy? You're a monster if you vote. So you're saying everyone who votes for the right side of the aisle here is a monster? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right? And usually you can kind of talk them back into the grounds. Or, well, I don't think it's right that they do that. Well, great. That's, that's a perfectly fine thing to say. But when you start off with, you know, hyperbole like that, you know. And that's that's that tribalism once again. That's where we're at. That's how things are right now. Everybody picks a side and they go climb that hill. Yeah. And then there's a few people in the middle who don't pay attention and and they're like, I don't even know what these people are on about, you know. But I think there's an opportunity to create another tribe, right? That that basically wants um, effective government. And I I think that the movement is. What, what's uh, I always forget Ocasio Cortez's first name Alexandra AOC Alexandria Alexandria yeah. Ocasio Cortez right and you know I watch the clips of her and I, I like her you know I think she's a pretty fiery politician and mm. and uh, I, you know I, I don't I know her opponents want to paint her as being crazy and uh, um, you know her her proponents want to talk about how she's like the second coming of something I don't know what it is exactly but you know when you hear her going to bat for um, kids in the Bronx with asthma or kids in Flint who have high levels of lead in their blood and they're suffering brain damage and stuff like that. It's like, okay, you know, she's, she's got her finger on stuff that's important and she's getting pretty fired up about things that are, that should be important to government. And, you know, their movement started with like documentary films and ups making people upset about how government works, not about, you know, how uh, this party is bad, you know, like, the, like uh, the the conservatives, I think, have a chance instead of saying Justin Trudeau is a fake feminist, they have a chance to say, um, you guys should be furious that the seat of power in this country is a, is a dictatorship, essentially. 
and that they can mm-hmm. get away with this kind of stuff. And um, no, sorry, not 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 even the conservatives, but just a hundred and you know sixty nine people should get together and go. We're going to run in you know in half of the ridings in this country, and this is what we'll do if you elect us. We will stop this this BS. Like we're gonna we're not going to let lobbyists have their way with us. We don't care about that stuff. All we're gonna do is spend four years, you know, scorched earthing every established system in government and then we'll get voted out because uh there will be so much money stacked against us this is our only chance to correct things so vote for us for now it's an absolute suicide mission but we're going to get it done see and interestingly uh trump is kind of doing that not on purpose but uh trump has sort of you know mishandled so many situations and caused so many situations to come up where nobody knew like what do we do if this happens right, right. there's all sorts of brand new stuff that's coming up in the american political system they had this wonderful case where the uh they they want the mueller report the the uh house of congress voted unanimously 420 to 0 to release the report got sent up to the senate mitch mcconnell single-handedly says yeah. nope so now you've got a system of government where one person is making the decision that 420 people. Now, admittedly, the Republicans probably all voted knowing that that was going to happen. So it was probably just a free, you know, hey, look, we're on the right side of this right. one. <laughs> but uh, it's super interesting uh, that some of those things get brought up. So I think in a way, yeah, Trump is is kind of showing some of the cracks in the American political system and where it kind of falls apart. And it's kind of interesting. That's a it's a positive thing that he's doing there. You know. <laughs> okay, you can spin it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentionally. But you're right about the like the Democrats and the you know, their new sort of the uh, the new green deal is her other thing, right? Yeah. She wants to spend a bunch of money to make the country more green and she'll probably pick up a lot of young voters as a result of that. The older guys might not be as pleased, but you know, at some point all that's gonna change. So Yeah. Um yeah, there's there's really nobody in this election. Arguably, Rachel Notley's probably the most inspiring politician we have in in Alberta. Is that uh, right? No, Greg Clark, see, I think, is 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 good. But there's nobody who really makes you go, "Oh, I like that guy." Oh no! Wow, that person has some really good drive and really good ideas. I want that person running the the country or running the sorry the province. Yeah, it's because it's a shitty job. Yeah, right. Yeah. It pays it pays 125 grand or 128 thousand or whatever. And we've we've I've said this so many times. We've skinned that job to death. There's no more pension. There's no more, you know, there's no, there's not nearly as much gravy. Like, I'm sorry, if you're going to do that gig, you should get some wicked perks. Not, you know, Derek Fildebrandt abused the perks, perks, but like you, you should get a pension if you're going to serve the public for four years uh, of your life. And typically of like your, you know, it should be um, your wiser years when you're capable of earning a lot of money in the private sector. I don't think there's anyone inspiring because the job isn't inspiring to anybody. It's mostly wading through the muck and having to deal with complaints from uh, from people who feel like ridiculously entitled. Um, you know, I mean, Notley, for example, like saying that they're going to she's going to subsidize every daycare seat. Actually, you know, what? I might have actually picked a wound here because I, I probably want to talk about this a little bit more than just in, yeah, yeah, for in sure. passing. But it's like. This is a tactic that I think that uh, Andrea Horvath was trying to put in play in the Ontario election when it was pretty clear that Doug Ford was going to march to victory with the conservatives out there. That it was just like, how much candy can we throw to the people? Like, oh, free, every single childcare will be free. Isn't that wonderful? And I, I think to myself of like the guy who 
who earned seven a seven-figure salary this year and felt bad because last year it was in the high eight figures. But this recession's really uh, hurt his uh, his pocketbook. And, uh, you know, he's got uh, two nannies that take care of his five kids, uh, sort of like, you know, the Trudeau family has a couple of nannies, right? <laughs> um, and it's sort of like, you know, do, do, do I need a, polit- a politician to come in and give that guy incentive to fire two of his employees so he can send his kids to daycare for on my dime? Like a, a universal subsidy is a subsidy for the rich just as it is for the poor. And so you're going to subsidize all the daycare seats. The wealthy are going to benefit from that tremendously as well. And I, I just I just sort of look at these things and it's like that's not inspiring to me. It's It sounds really great on paper, but it's not inspiring. It's a dead idea that actually doesn't help uh, in the way that it's supposed to help. It ends up, you know, costing us all more in the long run. Well, and interestingly, this is the same kind of thing that uh, the uh, – the sports credit, the child sports credit that they had the uh, at the federal level uh, that recently got rolled back a couple of years ago here by the liberals. And uh, the excuse that they gave was, oh, it, was, it wasn't helping the people it was intended to help. Only like wealthier people, middle, upper, upper middle class and middle class people were taking advantage of it, but poor people weren't. So let's get rid of it because it's helping some people, but it's not helping the people we really want to help. And I was just like, what the hell? You you created this tax credit to get kids out there playing and doing sports. We followed the rules, right? My my family went crazy. Yeah, we went crazy, but we sent our kids to day camps and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, they turn around and say, oh, no, 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 we don't want to subsidize it anymore because the right people aren't using the program, right? Right. Which is, uh, like, what kind of bullshit is that? I guess, I, I mean, um, on my side of things, I might question, um, should it have been subsidized in the first place? <laughs> Yeah, no, and fair enough. If they hadn't been, that's great. But what? But to to give it to people and then pull it because uh, oh well, it's not uh, helping the people we wanted to help. Well, then then smart up. Right. Um, though interestingly, that was a really interesting issue because uh, again, once again online, uh, the reaction I thought that that announcement was going to get was a lot of people saying, "Absolutely, it's high time. Why aren't we doing this already?" But instead, I saw an awful lot of people going, "Well, that's kind of bullshit." Right. Like, (laughs) I, you know, we already uh, subsidized quite a bit of this stuff. So if we're all subsidizing everyone's daycare, this is problematic. Right. I saw one lady on Twitter saying, I've got three kids under six. And so this is how much my childcare costs me. You know, it's at the point where I'm only earning seven dollars an hour after I take all that into account. And, you know, the smart ass part of me wanted to say, well, who the fuck told you to have three kids under six? Right. I didn't like if you can't afford it, you know, and now you sound like a rich jerk. But if you know what, if you can't afford those three kids, is that my problem? Uh, Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, you can't win. You can't win a discussion, an argument on on that ground. But no, um, but it's I, I think what what the that's a symptom of a bigger picture. Right. Which is what is the accountability of us as individuals in the society or do you see it as the other way around that society is accountable to us as individuals, and uh, and I think that that's the very crux of of you know the debate around any election. You know we have to, you know ourselves decide. Um, would I rather have more liberty and uh, less intervention from government, or do I want to give up more of my liberty because I feel that more intervention from government is better in my life and those around me. And I'm strongly in the first camp. <laughs> well, and I also saw the NDP was talking about uh, adding another highway up to Fort Mac. 
because that might get them a few more votes up there. Right. Like you said, the candy's being thrown out. So what what candy could they throw out to try to convince Calgary voters to come over to their side? Because that's what they need. They can't win this election unless they can convince a lot of seats in Calgary to flip. They just can't. It's impossible. The math is not there. They're yeah. not going to win in the rural areas. They're going to win most of Edmonton. They're 20 whatever seats in Edmonton. So they need another 20 seats somewhere, right? Yeah, and it's like, you know, there's there's what they obviously can't do, which is fund an arena. Um, they can't, I mean, they've already done the ring road. They've already, like, or I guess they didn't, that wasn't them, but, you know, the ring road's being built, the Green Line funding's in place. Like, I don't really know that you can come down to Calgary and start tossing candy around and it's going to sway any voters. This is a more ideological city, and it's also one that's never, you know, really f- felt like, uh, it's to me. It's not a city that's that's ever really felt that government spending is, um, what am I trying to say? Like ultra desirable. You're, you're trying to say that this is a city that kind of gets by on its own, that pays its own way, or that has a lot of people who feel that they would rather pay their own way and they don't need the government giving them a lot of handouts. Having said that, of course, we do get a lot of handouts, yeah. but. I think we kind of have that spirit, like, oh, I don't need your allowance, Mom. I'll go get a job. Thanks. Yeah, and by the way, if you really want to help, build the schools you said you were going to build. It's gotten out of control. Well, and uh, Tyler was saying that all of a sudden there is a school that's being rushed, and he was called in to, uh, uh, yeah. to do some surveying on that. So that might be the candy. Hey, more schools, guys. But that's that's pretty common election election candy. Oh, yeah, for sure. That all of a sudden there's some development in a place where a candidate has a chance to win. It's that's par for the yeah. course in any election. So, I mean, and, and I, that that question, you always ask that question when the when the candy comes out, you always have to ask, why didn't you do this two years ago? Wow. Why are you doing it now? Right. And the answer is, well, because now we need your vote. We yeah. didn't really need it two years ago. Well, but, uh, we're not fools, are we? No. I mean, I don't think most people are. Oh, I do. I think most people are. I think that's the problem. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why we're here, you know. And I, and I think that's why, uh, you know, just kind of to, to to put a bow on this podcast as we kind of wrap it up. It's, it's, you know, people are going to make these these candidates are trying to get people to make an emotional decision rather than a rational one. And this isn't the emotional talkie league, folks. This is the rational talkie league. And so we can point fingers at both sides, you see. But uh, yeah, I just it's 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 fun to watch. It's it's interesting to watch, and I just I honestly think that no matter what the outcome is on on April sixteenth, Alberta deserves better. Roger, I I'm actually tearing. I have tears in my eyes at how beautifully you brought that back <laughs> to to rational talking. Like you brought the circle back to completion. Well, if there's anything I can do, Dave, it's get to completion. <laughs> by putting tears in my eyes yeah. and uh <laughs> and not unironically my clip is empty excellent well uh yeah i think we, we had some good conversation tonight uh if you're enjoying the talkie league uh here in week four uh be sure to uh leave us a review or uh talk to us on the facebook either the national talkie league facebook group or the beleaguered talkies closed group you just have to ask us we'll let you in uh, our buddy Keith Callback joined us this week, has had a few things to chat with us about. Always love to hear everybody's opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bigger thing you can do for us 
is the thing that we really hope you do, which is to share us with your circle of friends and like-minded people. Let uh, let us get in their ears, too. So, you know, take those those links that we put up on the Facebook and share them with your group so that people can start picking up and uh, and uh, the, the tribe can get bigger. The <laughs> tribe of the rational talkie leak. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, please and thank you. I second what Dave just said. And uh, until we meet again, my friends, have a great sports weekend. Thank you.